This is the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. We are pleased to have you join us as we offer up God's Word as the necessary food for His people. The Word of God finds its fullest expression in the person of Jesus Christ. May He be exalted before you today. Now here is our speaker, Joel Van Hoogen. We've been considering Psalm 51 and the aftermath anticipated in finding God's forgiveness for our sins. David calls out for the restoration of joy and salvation. He says, God, make me hear joy and gladness. The person who finds forgiveness hears God's own song of joy in forgiving him and learns as well to sing that song throughout their lives. Sing it over again to me. Wonderful words of life. There's an application to this. What is your song? What's the spontaneous song that regularly resonates and rises up in your life? Is it the song of God's joy and forgiving and cleansing and saving you? It should be. It's the mark. It's there. It's just humming all the time. What is the message that you want to hear and study more than anything else? I caution people who think that they've developed a deeper form of Christianity because they want to study the book of Revelation and Daniel all the time. And they want to make conjectures on where we are in the present situation. That's not, that's not the heart of our message. And it's not the one story we want to exercise itself more than others. Well, I had a young couple that came to our church in Calgary where we lived. And they had originally been from Calgary. He had a very good job with the government. And he'd left the job to go up with a group of Christians who ultimately formed a commune up in the mountains. And it very quickly revealed to actually be quite heretical. And also like a sect that was very controlling. They'd come back because his wife was not obedient enough to the leader of this group of individuals. They came back and they found her way to our church. They weren't going to church anywhere, but people knew them and brought them in. I remember the wife calling me one time and saying that she had overheard my wife teaching a Bible study that she had been invited to. She hadn't been coming for a while. We just were getting to know them. And she couldn't come because she heard my wife saying how much she loved God's Word. And she says, i got to tell you, I don't love God's Word. I've been beaten and abused by God's Word for the last three or four years. My husband was going to leave me when they kicked me out, and eventually he thought it wasn't right, and so he came with me. Well, eventually, this couple heard of the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, and they gave themselves to Christ, but they had fell into this cult within the church itself. And I'd ask them, how do they fall into it? Well, we were in a study that was really involved in deep teachings. We felt that nobody else was studying these things, and we were studying the deep teachings of the things of God. That's how we fell into this. Well, what were the deep teachings? Well, we talked about the appropriate dress that Christians ought to wear. We talked about the kinds of shows we shouldn't watch. We talked about the right manners in which a woman should show herself completely submissive to her husband, and on and on. Now, listen, I'm not saying that there are not ramifications in Scripture that address those issues in your life, but if you think you're deep because you're studying and measuring at all the laws of God and trying to write your new scribal order of how to follow them, you're not. The study of the Christian is the cross of Jesus Christ, the blood that was shed for me, the outpouring of all the attributes that He pours upon my life, the joy of my salvation. That's deep. That's what God calls us to. And by the way, when you immerse yourself into the flood of those things, all the other stuff, all the other particles of this world and this age that accumulate in our life, get to be washed away. But you want to find somebody who was really meticulous, meticulous in the law, it was the Pharisees. They were the deep ones. And they would travel around the earth to make proselytes who would follow their deep teachings and 
Jesus said of them, you make those who choose to follow you twice the sons of hell that you are. That's not the message. Cleansing and forgiveness and it's life through Jesus Christ who washes us and cleanses us and gives us a liberty that's powerful, that establishes the law from something internal that God does in our life, not something that's imposed by outward forms. The question is, what do you want to study? What do you want to talk about? What do you awaken new to find in the Scriptures themselves? Something that will undergird your own ideas? Your own little sharpening of the knife of the little points you want to make about some one topic or two topics? Or is it to find Christ in all of His fullness expressed in the Scriptures, revealed in the Scriptures, and revealing His work in the Scriptures of our salvation? There are other individuals who wake up and what they want to talk about around the cooler is the political banter and political complaint. Other individuals who find themselves that what they want to talk about is the entertainment gossip of the day, what the latest movie star or television actor has done, or what the great show is that they can't wait. They're so happy it's Tuesday and my favorite show is on tonight. Other individuals who want to talk about business news and business strategies, or they want to talk about sports scores, and they're here right now, and all they can think about is, I hope this sermon doesn't go too long, because I want to watch the Masters. I'm talking to you, see? <laughs> you know, as a child, the day was Saturday. It was Saturday mornings. You know, my mother would have to drag me out of bed. My dad threw a glass of water on me once to try to get me out of bed to go to school. But no one had to wake me up for Saturday mornings. You got up, you remember it, you guys my age, you got up before the test pattern was even off the television set. You stood in front of the TV with a test pattern on just waiting for that morning shows to come on because that was cartoon morning. And it was glorious. Cartoons all morning long until mom woke up and fed you breakfast. That was the day. Well, what is the message that you wake up desiring above all else? What is it you want to hear and learn and study? Why do you want to gather with God's people, if not for this reason? To celebrate this doctrine to learn it together, to tell of these things. This is the telltale sign of the forgiven person. They have a song that they love to sing, and they have a message that they cannot stop studying together. Let me hear your words of gladness and joy. Well, let me give you the last point very quickly. The next one is, it is a life established in grace. David wants to remain fixed in that joy, is basically what he's saying. He's wandered away from God, and as a result, he's lost all that joy, and he wants to be planted in it. He says, create in me a clean heart, renew a steadfast, planted, enduring, a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence. Do not take away your spirit from me. Uphold me. The idea is of a fixed post that's planted in the ground. Uphold me by your free will. At least that's one of the better ways to translate that, clearer ways that we can translate that. He also might say, uphold me by giving me a free will, a will that's devoted to this purpose and point, but either way, it's God's work. Forgiveness and cleansing will bring David under the sound of the songs of praise and rejoicing. It will bring him to consider the study of that joy and the gladness of that salvation. And now David wants to make sure he remains in that place. David does not want to leave that place ever again. He's seen where the flesh can take him, and he says, God, I don't want to ever go there again, so create in me an absolutely new heart so I never go away from that place so that I can remain steadfast and I can endure and I can stand upright in your will. Basically what he's saying is, God, establish me in an enduring commitment to you. He's seen the potential of his own sinful nature to take him far away from the will of God and to take him deeply into the destructiveness of his own sinful appetites. And he's seen that there's nothing in his own flesh 
No strength that he has to acquire his own cleansing. God had to bring him into cleansing. God, now keep me fixed in this place. Keep me grounded in your presence. He's discovered something. This will require that God always keep him in the presence of God. So God, don't take me from your presence. It's actually a negative way of expressing a most positive thought. He's saying, God, basically, I want to always be with you. I want to be in your presence. Keep me here. Don't ever send me away. Don't ever chase me away. He also understands he must always be under the governance of God's Holy Spirit. Uphold me by your generous spirit. Don't take your Holy Spirit from me. That is, by the way, a reference to something that happened when David was anointed to be king. You can read about it in 1 Samuel. That when God determined as an answer to the request of the people of Israel to provide a king for them, the very first king that he provided was anointed by Samuel. His name was Saul. And we're told that when Saul was anointed, that the Spirit rushed or came upon Saul in order to empower him to carry out this rule. These kings were not kings that grew up because of uh, mere conquest, by mere individual power, by their own social acumen or ability to maneuver politically in order to establish themselves as kings. Before that ever happened, and before they demonstrated any of those abilities, they were anointed to be king, and then what God did is, by the power of His Spirit, He set His Spirit upon them to enable them to carry out that work. And we're told that Saul sinned. And after Saul sinned, his only concern was that he not lose the favor of his own people. He wanted Samuel to take him out and bless him in front of all the people so that none of the people would know what he had done. Something happens different with David. David, when David sins, he writes a poem and he gives the song to his cheap musician and says, teach it to all the people. Let my life be a lesson of what not to do. Saul said, don't let me lose favor with the people. Don't let them look critically at me. He wasn't truly repentant. Samuel says to Saul, God's spirit is going to be removed from you. He comes and he finds David. David's not the oldest son in his family. He's the youngest son of Jesse. He doesn't have all the abilities, all that political power. He is not even old enough to begin establishing and thinking through the process of gaining that kind of power just to show you that this is God's man and it's God's work and not their own. Samuel anoints David to be king and we're told at that moment that the spirit rushed in upon him for that job. And the very next verse in 1 Samuel tells us at that moment that the spirit was taken away from Saul. David knows the story. He knows his sin. He knows in a sense he's on the knife's edge. Now he says, God, please, don't take your spirit from me. Now, this doesn't have a direct application to the New Testament. The way the Holy Spirit works now, since the day of Pentecost in the church, is different. But it does tell us something. We do not want to be parted from the life and power of the Holy Spirit. We want it. We long for it. God, don't remove me from the founding and the grounding and the strength and the power and your presence brought to me by the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Before you come to the Lord Jesus Christ and receive Him as your Savior for the first time, you are in your sins separated from God. When you put your faith on Jesus Christ and you say, Jesus, come, forgive me my sins, wash me, make me clean, I confess I can do nothing. You do it all for me. At that very moment, heaven opens up and Christ pours out upon you not only forgiveness and cleansing, but He pours into your heart the Holy Spirit. You receive Him. And He makes known to you the presence of Christ and He brings to you all the life of Christ and He endues you with the power of Christ living in you. When you sin as a Christian... You grieve the Holy Spirit. You quench the Holy Spirit. You, in a sense, 
suffocate the breathing life of the Holy Spirit into your life. You drive yourself from the presence of God by your sins. As Christians, when we find ourselves wandering from God, what we do is we turn to God and say, Oh God, forgive me. Wash me. God, don't cast me from your presence. Receive me back in your presence. Don't let your Holy Spirit be taken away from me. Let him empower me and fill me and reveal to me your life and sweetness. And God, God, from here on, keep me grounded here. Keep me living here. That's what, that's what David is praying for. Can I say it this way? The Christian life is a life, we still falter, we still sin, but it's a life that sings a song and studies the song. And it's a life that above everything else wants to be fixed in doing just that. God, right here in your presence, always singing, always studying, always with you. That's what David is praying for. Well, from there, you'll have to study the rest of the psalm yourself, but you'll see ministry is born out of that, out of that kind of life, around that kind of song. You'll discover that we begin to teach others the error of their way. We teach transgressors in the way. I think that means David didn't simply teach them how they ought to live, but David taught them how they ought not to live. Don't follow where I went. And then also we have this bursting out of our lives a ministry of praise where we just want to give God public praise and recognition wherever we go. David says, oh, my mouth will sing your praises. And then what happens is we find ourselves praying for others. He ends with saying, God, bless the walls of Zion. Help them and work in their lives in such a way that they might bring to you offerings that are pleasing to you. You begin interceding for others. All because you've learned a new song. They're studying it. By the Spirit, you're being grounded in that place. This has been the Bread of Life, a ministry of the Bread of Life Fellowship in Boise, Idaho. For a copy of this broadcast, just call us at 208-331-4096. Until the next time, God bless you.